Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Sorta Awesome. I'm your host, Meg Teets. I am so happy to be joined and to be bringing you guys double the awesome today because, first of all, I am joined by my longtime co-host, my very dear friend, Rebecca Hoffer of SimplyRebecca.com. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. I brought a friend today. You brought a friend. Who did you bring with us today for our conversation? I brought my husband, Nate, and I am thrilled to have him (laughs) back on the podcast. Thank you so much for letting me be here, ladies. I'm happy to be here. Yes, longtime awesomes will know this is not Nate's first nor his second appearance on Sort of Awesome. Nate is a three-time guest now. I feel like that's got to be a Hall of Fame uh, return guest. The trifecta. Invited back and back for some more. And I get better every time. So this is going to be the one that's really, really good. The first two, we can just Those were just practice. Throw away. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Speaking of the first time, the first time you came to Sort of Awesome was way back in May of 2016, episode 59, Nate Hoffer crushing misconceptions about homelessness. And then you came back to the show, Nate. I don't know if you remember this. I certainly do. Episode 220. How to be awesome with holiday giving, kind of helping us to think about, you know, lots of people doing end of year gifting and how do we make our money do some really good work in the world with that. We'll put links in the show notes for you guys to go back and listen to Nate's past appearances if you want to. But like you said, he promised this is going to be the best one. So, (laughs) (laughs) So Rebecca, you guys kind of had a topic that it's consistently an issue in you guys' life because of Nate's job. Rebecca, why don't you give us like a little mini intro, a re-intro for the old school awesomes. But you know, some people have joined us in the past number of years since Nate was last on the show. So give us a little rundown of who Nate is besides your darling husband. (laughs) My darling husband, for sure. Okay, so Nate is the CEO of a growing nonprofit that helps to serve people who are experiencing homelessness and those who are at risk of homelessness. So they are doing emergency shelter programs, as well as providing like rental assistance to keep people in their homes. And every day they are serving 300 men, women and children across two different counties here in Pennsylvania. And I know that I tend to poke fun at my husband from time to time on the podcast as a loving wife might like I'm thinking of um your puzzle like really that mm-hmm. I <laughs> I'm not surprised I like to brag on the fact that I am so much better at puzzles than you are oh yeah but the truth yes. is though is that Nate is one of the best people that I know on the planet he has the hugest heart and is the most compassionate 
person and is really, really made for this role of helping people who are at times othered and outcast and pushed aside. And he just has such a welcoming heart for treating those people and their circumstances with such dignity. And he has no fear. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about. Really at the core of it all today, I think what we're really talking about is this fear of people who have been othered for a variety of reasons. And like, why does that happen? How do we provide assistance and help to those individuals, despite maybe having some uncertainty about how we as individuals feel about them, feel about their life choices, and just the best ways for us to like get out of the way so that others can step in and provide those services and really help. Yes. Okay. Well, that was a good old intro, Nate. How are you feeling? (laughs) (laughs) I feel pumped up. Okay, good. ready to go. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. Well, we are big Nate Hoffer fans around here, so I cannot wait to get into this conversation. I know that if you all are people who are on your um, Facebook neighborhood groups or the Nextdoor app or maybe forums for your city, you know that the conversation around people experiencing homelessness is a consistent one, and it brings out a lot of big feelings. And so Nate is here to kind of give us some updates into the conversation. And we're just going to explore all of that. You guys know it's going to be awesome. You know you can trust us to be awesome with the conversation. It's going to be so great. That's what we're talking about today on Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes, to the show that is all about helping you become smart, strong, and social. If you are new to Sorta Awesome, first of all, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. We would love to have you join us in one of our social media communities that exists outside of your podcast app, but is where the real good stuff, the real day-to-day awesome happens. You can do that by finding us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show over on Instagram or on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout. That is where we have a thriving community of thousands of women who show up daily to help keep the awesome flowing through daily life by problem solving, giving parenting advice, giving travel advice, helping you pick the dress that you want to wear to a family member's wedding. Like you have a problem, we will solve it in the Sorta Awesome Hangout. So come and find us there. And I also want to say, if you have not yet checked us out on YouTube, go over and find us on YouTube. So many people are enjoying seeing our faces, the fact that I cannot sit still, nor can I control my hands when I'm talking. (laughs) Come find us on YouTube by searching Sort of Awesome over there. We would love to get to 500 subscribers on YouTube. That's like the first big milestone for people who are creating content on YouTube. So even if you don't watch YouTube regularly, Maybe you could even like talk your kid into going over and subscribing to us on on YouTube so we could get to that 500 mark. So again, you can just search Sort of Awesome and you will find us there. So I'm so excited. I think this might be a first for our Awesome of the Week segment, which is how we always start the show. It's where we're talking about whatever is making life a little more awesome, whether it's a book or a TV show, a movie, a podcast, a product, a recipe, something that's bringing awesome to everyday life. Rebecca and Nate, you guys have a joint Awesome of the Week. And I think this might be the first time we've done that on Sort of Awesome. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's feeling brand new to me. (laughs) 
I think it is brand new. But the truth is, is that for some reason, in the past, when Nate was on the episodes, we never invited him for the Awesome of the Week segment. (laughs) We were like, sit quietly while the girls talk, Nate. (laughs) And I think that maybe we even recorded it before he came or like after he left. Yeah. I don't know. We didn't think you had anything to contribute. I don't know. Again, it keeps getting better every time (laughs) that I come on. So we're adding segments that I'm allowed to be part of, (laughs) which is great. Okay. But we're just easing him into it, right? Because we're doing this together. Yes. So our joint awesome of the week is the show Jury Duty. Okay. I don't know this one. Tell me everything. I haven't watched it. I cannot believe that this has not already been somebody's awesome of the week because this came out in April this year and it has four Emmys. I mean, it just like blew up. It is wildly popular. And I felt like we were late to the game to watch it this past weekend. Obviously not as late as I am because I'm just now hearing about (laughs) it. I'm obviously not up on my awards show winners or anything like that. Okay, well, you are going to love this. Just wait here for a minute. Jury Duty is a documentary-style comedy series sharing the jury process of a trial, but every single person is an actor except for one man, Ronald Gladden. Okay. You look confused. I am a little confused. It is. It is confusing. Okay, so let me just say this again, like just in a little bit of a different way. The way that every single episode starts out is with some text on the screen. And this is what it says. The following series explores the American judicial process as seen through the eyes of a jury. But this is not a normal trial. It is fake. Everyone involved is an actor, except for one person. Okay. So is it kind of like a reality show? I'm still a little bit confused, but I'm I'm open. You guys just keep telling me how awesome this is because I'm open. Okay, so the way that they do it is that it's not fully scripted, but there are parts that are scripted. There are some lines that they're hoping to hit. There's a story arc that they're hoping to accomplish. There are beats that they want to accomplish every day. Things are planned, but you have this variable of this person who is not acting who truly thinks Mm -hmm. that it's real. What did you like about it? Uh, It was truly one of the more brilliant shows I've ever seen. So for some context, we binged it in less than 24 hours. It was one of those shows that once we saw the first one, we were all in. It was comedic. The acting was on point. Like Rebecca said, everybody in that show was an actor. So all of these extras and everyone is acting except for one guy. And the thing is, this guy, Ronald Gladden, He's such an endearing fellow. I mean, he might be the sweetest, most authentic, genuine human that you'll ever see. So that's also why he was chosen for this role. So he kind of sucks you in. Like, he is the hero of the story, this Ronald guy. Everyone's acting around him and kind of giving him, like, little tests along the way, along the show to, like, to test his ethics and his morality not to give too much away here, but he does really well throughout the series. And so it really sucks you in this Ronald guy. I mean, he's like the friendly neighbor next door, just a sweet guy. The acting is really great. And it's funny. It is funny. There were so many times throughout the show that we just chuckled at each other. It's so funny. So it's easy to watch. It's endearing. It's heartwarming. It really is. And one of the best shows I've seen in a very long time. 
I would say that you can imagine the awkwardness and the camera work of like the office, but scaled back just enough so that like one person in that office could believe that it was actually real. So it's not like completely bananas, although there are moments that even he, without realizing it was all fake, said, something crazy happens every day. This is like a reality <laughs> show, you know? So, um, and then also on top of that, so it's on Amazon Prime, okay? It's on Amazon Prime. There are eight episodes. They're just 30 minutes each. Plus, there are bonus episodes where there's cast commentary. And the cast commentary, Nate hasn't watched it, but I binge that super fast because just hearing everybody talk about this different style of acting and directing and even one big thing that they talked about was having a reality bank that they sat through hours and hours and hours of boring jury content or boring like courtroom content because they had to make it believable that this was actually real. So anyway, we cannot recommend mm. it highly enough. Mm -hmm. And I would even check out that bonus content as mm -hmm. well. Okay, I'm sold. I absolutely will watch this. I am encouraged by the fact that you both as a couple enjoyed it. You know, one of the <laughs> more consistent conversations we have in the hangout, especially is my husband and I need a new show to watch. Here's our likes and dislikes. What can we watch together? So I'm super encouraged that you guys watch this together and you loved it. So good. Okay. We're going to put links in the show notes for you guys to go check that out. I know I will be. Okay. I'm going to tell you my awesome of the week pretty quickly because I've kind of been sprinkling this around in the different parts of Awesome Nation that I read a book last month that I really liked and I am still thinking about it. The book is called Cutting Teeth and it's by Chandler Baker. And Chandler Baker is kind of like a women's contemporary fiction writer. And so the premise of the book Cutting Teeth, Rebecca, have you heard about this other than me kind of like mentioning it randomly here and there that I really liked it? I feel like I've heard you talk about it, but I haven't really seen buzz about it. But I'm very limited in my focus when it comes to mm -hmm. books. So if it's not romance, I'm probably not hearing about it. Okay. This is not romance. So I think that the marketing team for the publisher of this book missed their messaging a little bit because I feel like they're marketing Cutting Teeth as like a domestic horror book. Let me see if I can pull up the cover to show you guys really quickly. So the premise of the book is that there's this preschool class of four-year-olds and the kids in the class start biting each other, which is, you know, that's fairly normal preschool behavior. But then out of the blue, their preschool teacher is murdered. And so there's all of these questions of, is this related to this condition that the kids have? They like sort of make an explanation that here, I'm going to show you the, I'm going to show you guys the cover so you can see how they're sort of like messaging it, cutting teeth. And there's like a white picket fence with blood on it. Okay. And so there's like these kids, they have this condition where they're craving blood and there's a lot of discussion and debate amongst the parents about what to do about these kids having this condition. But in the meantime, there's this murder mystery on top of it. So I feel like the publisher is putting this out as a book of like a domestic horror book. Like it's kind of scary. It's spooky. There's kids. They're biting their family. They're biting each other. Their teacher gets murdered. What's going on? And for that reason, I think that this doesn't have quite the positive reviews around it that I think it should have, because do not go into this book if you choose to read it, expecting a spooky, scary book about kids that are vampires, okay? Even though the cover, the title, all of it makes it look like that, this is really about motherhood. It's about parenting in this modern era. 
we follow the lives of three moms. You've got your crunchy, holistic, vegan, raw food mom. She happens to be a single mom. So she has a lot of explorations about who she is and how she fits in. She's a woman of color, how she fits into this like preschool group. We have like the stereotypical Enneagram 2 takes care of everyone, homeroom mom who's just like covers everything, does everything for everyone. And then we have a mom who left like a really nice high power career in marketing to be like a do part-time work, but also be part-time mom. I don't know if you read the book or watched the series Big Little Lies, which explores home life, what goes on behind closed doors, the inner lives of moms, especially. It's more in the vein of Big Little Lies than I would say in the vein of Bram Stoker's Dracula or something. (laughs) But I really liked this book. I listened to it on audio. Rebecca, you know, I do almost all of my reading on audio. The narrator is a woman named January Lavoie. She's very well known in the audio narration community, extremely talented. She does all of these voices, the women, the moms, she gives them their own unique voice. She does the kids' voices in a way. I think doing four-year-old voices as an adult would be so challenging, but she does it in a way that's not annoying or off-putting. Like It's very believable the way she does the voices. So I highly recommend it on audio. And the reason I wanted to talk about it for Awesome of the Week is I know as we go into the fall that maybe local book clubs are thinking about what books do we read. I think that Cutting Teeth would be a fantastic book club book, especially if your book club is mostly women, to really kind of talk through and explore the different parenting, like just the parenting culture issues that come up in this book. So I loved it. So again, that is Cutting Teeth by Chandler Baker. I recommend the audio version. Okay. We have so much to get into with Rebecca and Nate, and we're going to get to all of that when we come right back. Hey friends. Okay. So we're kind of talking about some grown up things today. And you know that I always give you the heads up when it's time to talk about sort of awesome favorite sponsor with all the grown up products. And that is of course, Foria. So recently online, I've seen a lot of people talking about a thing that I was not familiar with. And that is the idea of August anxiety. This feeling in August where you start to have a little uptick in anxiety as you think about the end of summer and like shorter days are ahead. And oh my goodness, that means the holidays are going to be right around the corner. I did not know that August anxiety is a thing, but I do know that life can get so chaotic like mine is right now that you don't really take time to take care of you in all of the ways. And that is when you can turn to and you can trust Foria. Foria uses all natural plant-based ingredients to intensify sexual pleasure and relieve discomfort. Yes, they have a serious cult following. Tens of thousands of people rave about Foria products. Many awesomes in our community have had their eyes opened to the magic that is for you. And that's because I always point people over to the Awaken Arousal Oil. So Awaken uses CBD and warming, sensation-inducing organic botanicals that are going to enhance arousal, sensitivity, pleasure, access to orgasm, and help with any discomfort. This really is a time of year to really make sure you're checking in with yourself, taking care of yourself, taking care of your relationships. And for you, Awaken Arousal Oil can help throw in some sex oil and it's going to be even better. So yes, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it and as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. 
Foria is offering a special deal just for you awesomes. Get 20% off of your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash awesome or use code awesome at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash awesome for 20% off of your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and the Sex Oil together. You're going to thank me later. Okay, we are back. And today we are so thrilled to be joined by Nate Hoffer, Rebecca's husband and a person who has a long time of experience, lots of years of experience in working with people who are experiencing homelessness and who are at risk for homelessness. Nay, I forgot to ask this at the top of the show, but how long have you been doing this, sir? How long has this been your work on this planet? This is my uh, 15th year at the organization that I'm at, Good Sam. So yes, one and a half decades. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So again, we just trust the insight you give us. And I love that. I want to, that actually is a perfect segue into this first question. We asked the awesomes if anybody had specific questions knowing you were coming back to the show. Awesome MJ had a question that I want to read and then I have a little commentary on. MJ asked, could Nate give the rationale of why we say experiencing homelessness? I find it such a helpful switch and I wish more folks understood the dignity of it. So I just want to say, Nate, you were the first person back in 2016 when you came to Sort of Awesome, you were the very first person who I heard use that phrase experiencing homelessness. And it was such a paradigm shift for me. I have been thinking about it ever since. That was in 2016. I've really seen the national conversation, the cultural conversation around homelessness change from just like by default saying homeless person to switching it around to person experiencing homelessness. So like MJ, I would love to hear your thoughts on that switch again. This was, I know this was a change you made in your language and your understanding of it years ago. But for those of us who are maybe just now catching up, tell us a little bit of the background on that. Sure. So I think experiencing homelessness as opposed to assigning somebody as a homeless person, it's a lot more dignified and it helps the general public. It reminds all of us that homelessness, the vast majority of the time, is circumstantial and a short period of time. It does does not define the totality of the human experience for somebody. They are not homeless. Uh, They are going through an episode of hardship. They're experiencing difficulties. They've experienced a setback for a whole host of reasons, but being without a home doesn't define who that person is. So experiencing homelessness is just a more dignified way to identify the current struggle that someone is in. And like I said, for the vast majority of people who find themselves without a home and who are experiencing an episode of homelessness, it's short, it's brief, it's circumstantial, and they recover from it. So labeling it as experiencing homelessness hopefully reminds the general public and those who aren't necessarily familiar with the homeless population, it just it's a subtle reminder of like, yeah, okay, it's something that they're going through. It's something they're experiencing, but there's going to hopefully, for most people, be a time when they are no longer in that state and position. That is such a great way to explain it. And I think that emphasizing a person experiencing homelessness that reminds you first and foremost of their personhood. And I think that for many of us, when we encounter a person experiencing homelessness, it can be uncomfortable. That's part of our human response. And it's easier to look past a person if we just 
label them, oh, that's a homeless person. I can just ignore them. I can look away as opposed to seeing them in their personhood and their humanity first. So I think that's been a really powerful change as you have. I mean, this is your daily work. And again, you've been on the forefront of this language change. Have you noticed people just like in your community, just like regular people, people maybe that you work with or community outreach you do? Do you see that there's people are kind of catching on to using this language or is there still some kind of resistance around it? Yes, to both. And I wouldn't say it's a resistance to it. I would just say that for folks who aren't in the work as frequently as some of us, that it just hasn't caught on yet. But I would say experiencing homelessness is a phrase that I've heard more. Also, unhoused is a term that I've heard that seems to be gaining popularity. So I would say, Meg, that for those of us who are in the work, it's definitely been a complete shift. I know for the organization that I work for, Good Sam, I mean, we're intentional about updating all of our literature, everything that we put out, just the way we talk, and there's accountability there. So if we hear someone say, homeless person, someone will call them out in a kind way to just instruct them. So it really has been a significant shift for those of us who are in that work day to day. And slowly but surely, it's getting out to other sectors of society, for sure. That's so encouraging and so, so good to hear. Rebecca, do you want to read this next question from Sarah? Because I imagine that this, Rebecca, with your like closeness to Nate and therefore to his work, this is probably a question that you also get asked a lot. I'm sure Nate gets asked, but Sarah asked a question that I'm thinking that you probably hear from your friends or people who are familiar with Nate's work as well. Yeah, I would say this is definitely something that we talk about as a couple all the time with people. And Sarah's asking, what is the best way to respond when I'm asked for money from somebody experiencing homelessness? She mentioned a story of somebody asking for help for a night stay at a hotel. Somebody else chimed in that every time that she goes to the gas station, she's being asked for money. And yeah, people just don't know if that's the right thing to do is to give the money or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that, Nate? Well, I want to preface this by saying that my thoughts don't have to be everyone else's thoughts. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Because I think that probably the way that I respond to it might make some people feel uncomfortable. So I think the best way to respond to someone who's in need, who's asking for help, the best way is always a way that makes them feel dignified and that makes them feel seen and that makes them feel human. And now that can be achieved through multiple different responses. It can be giving money. It can be just looking at the person and not shying away from that awkward feeling that you have in that moment. It could be stopping and engaging in conversation. It could be saying hello. It could be whatever you personally in that moment are doing to not allow the discomfort that you're feeling guide the situation. You should in some way move towards how can I just make this person feel dignified in this moment? How can I make them not feel ignored? Because I think the thing that I'm so passionate about is that folks who are experiencing homelessness are overlooked a lot. So that's what I always lead with. What can I do in this moment just to make sure that I'm not one of the hundreds of people that today that's just going to overlook this person? So for me, a lot of times that does look like giving money. I have no problems generally. If someone is asking for money, I am not going to approach them and put them through a rigorous questionnaire of how they got in this situation. What do they need the money for? Are they struggling with any addiction issues? And I understand people's concerns is that generally they, I think 
the concern is they don't want to be enabling someone or enabling an addiction. And, and so there's a lot to unpack there. The stigma is that if you're homeless, that you're addicted to drugs or alcohol. Well, that might be up to a third, but that leaves two thirds of people who are not dealing with an addiction. Chances are more of them are struggling with a mental health issue. I don't lead with assuming that the person is going to take my money and go to the store and buy alcohol. That's the popular thing you hear people say. And the reason, Meg, why I don't do that is because I don't do that with any other area of my life where I'm giving money. For example, and again, this is me. This is my perspective. But if I hire someone to do work at my house, for example, and I understand that there's a transaction there, they're doing something, I'm giving them money, but I'm not asking them, what are you doing with my money? How are you spending it? Are you going to do something that's unsavory that I don't want to be a part of? Why is it? Why is it that when it comes to giving money to people in need, then our radars, our detectors really come up? That that's when we're super aware of what's being done with the money. You know, why is it that the people who need it the most, we scrutinize the most? So for me, I do not lead with assuming that someone is going to make a bad choice. They might. And, you know, that's life, but I generally don't lead with that. But what I encourage people, because a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that, is, well, there, there's something you can give. If it's not money, all of us have the capacity to give something. And so this ties back into making the best response is making sure that someone feels dignified. So can you give your time? Can you give 30 to 60 seconds and just stop and say, hey, sorry, you're going through a hard time. I hope things get better for you. Am I aware of any resources in my community that I can get you connected to? Is it just waving and saying hi? We really underestimate, and studies show this, it's remarkable, the power that a smile, the power that a warm smile and looking someone in the eyes might be more impactful than a $5 bill. And so many of us choose not to do that because we're letting our discomfort lead us in that situation. This is an incredibly unique and personal question for everyone to respond to. And it's in that moment. It's situational, right? I mean, if you have five kids hanging on your arms, you're, you, know, you don't have the capacity to give a lot at that time, right? I don't subscribe to the notion that there's like a blanketed response in this thing. I think the best thing to do is to pay attention to how you're feeling at that time, what you have the capacity to do, and to be thinking through, what am I giving right now that is making this person feel dignified and feel better? and making them feel seen. That's usually what I try to do. That's so helpful. And I actually have a follow-up question for one of our awesomes that kind of plays into this. It's from Awesome Carrie. And she wonders if someone wants to serve those experiencing homelessness, what are some things they can do? So outside of that moment of being approached by someone asking for money or asking for a ride, but looking at the bigger picture in your community, for example, I'm sure you have a number one suggestion of how people can support and serve those who are experiencing homelessness. And it probably has to do with local organizations. But if people are just like, I'm just a regular person, I'm not on the city council, I'm not making policy for my community, I am a regular person, and I want to serve and support people experiencing homelessness, what can I do? What are some things that come to mind for you, Nate? Yeah, well, I think I've heard this a lot where people will, in their cars, have prepared packages or bags of crackers or treats or something, you're prepared. So you're prepared for when you observe a need. It sort of helps do away with that discomfort that you might feel in that moment, you know, because you don't quite know what to do. But that's something very practical that you can do that lets someone see, hey, let someone feel, I see you. I don't have all the answers 
for what's happening in your life right now, but I care. And here's something. So that's something really that any of us can do because I'm sure we all see it. You know, we haven't talked about this yet, but Rebecca and I were just talking the other day. Homelessness nationally is rising. So it's a timely topic. People will see headlines of major cities where there's tent cities popping up and things like that, but really it's everywhere. It's in rural America, it's in urban America. So if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, chances are you are going to encounter it at some point. So, you know, just being prepared and maybe having some goodie bags on hand would be helpful. And also just understanding what resources are available in your community so that when you have that encounter, you can have an intelligent, compassionate conversation with someone. Hey, do you know how to contact so-and-so? Or can I help make this phone call for you to this resource in the community? That would be a great thing. I know that Rebecca has my business cards that she will hand out to people. So is there an equivalent that any of the listeners can do? Is there a shelter or housing provider or food bank in your community? Can you stop by and get some brochures and some materials? And can you be armed with those to distribute to people? Because for folks who are experiencing poverty and homelessness, a lot of times they suffer from not understanding the resources that are available in the community. So that's a real bridge that all of us can provide and can be for people is, you know, knowledge really is power and you can help connect the dots for people and where to go for help in your community. I think I remember too, from one of our past conversations that you kind of had some cautions around just like, oh, I just cleaned out my closet. I've got all these clothes. I'm just going to drop them off at the homeless shelter that Though you may have a good intention around that and that you think, okay, and there's people that are experiencing homelessness and they need these clothes, that you kind of had a caution to maybe check with the shelter first and see what their actual needs are. And I imagine that more often than not, rather than in-kind donations that are tangible, which provide just kind of create maybe some problems on the shelter end, that honestly, monetary support might be a better direction to take. Do you still kind of, is that still kind of a thing you would want us to think about? Hmm. Yes, that is spot on. And, you know, I would say that generally, I think people mean well, I think all of us mean well, that when we're cleaning out our closet, when we're getting rid of things, we think, well, I could throw this away. But hey, the local shelter, they're serving poor people, I'm sure they could use it. And I would just say that I think it's important that we give our best and not the rest to people in need. Just because someone is going through a hard time, doesn't mean that they should be grateful for anything that they get. So I know at the organization that I work at, we do frequently have to sort through donated clothes because we're getting things with rips, with stains, things that none of us would wear. It's a mentality. So I think for anyone listening is like, check your heart. What do you think people who are going through a hard time deserve? You know, what do you really think they deserve? And I would challenge you that they deserve the best. So I know that the shelters that we operate, they're nicer than the home that Rebecca and I live in. And that's very intentional. That's very intentional. When you go above and beyond and you give your best, it really speaks to someone that, hey, like you matter. I care about you. I believe in you. And it might sound silly, but like even like having nice accommodations, nice furniture, nice clothing, things that the rest of us get to enjoy, it can really help to set the trajectory for somebody in their life to get them thinking differently about themselves, about their self-worth. So When you are cleaning out your closet and donating things, think, is this speaking to someone's self-worth? And if the answer is no, put it in the trash (laughs) if, if that's where it belongs. So yes, in general, 
I think the helpful approach with folks who are going through a hard time is to make sure that we're really giving our best and not the leftovers. But I will just chime in and say that as much as Nate's organization has received some things that were less than helpful, thinking of the service providers in your area can be a huge blessing, more than you even realize. Just real briefly, there was a story of young mom who was bringing her daughter into one of the shelter programs. And the daughter was asking, mom, am I going to be able to take my mini mouse bed mm-hmm. with me? And she's like, no, I don't think so. Or she, I don't even know. Maybe she didn't even answer because she didn't want to like have the drama of it all. And what do you know? Somebody within the community called within days or hours of them moving into the shelter called and said, hey, I have this like little bed. It's a mini mouse toddler bed. Could you guys make use of it? Isn't that just crazy? I mean, we just like all of us, the staff, our family, we just like cried. Mm-hmm. We're just like, yes, I'm going to start crying right now. <laughs> that was just right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you just don't know how much your phone call can like mm-hmm. drastically impact somebody just by offering what you have. But then also being mindful of the quality of what you're what you're giving. Absolutely. One more quick question. Well, I say quick, that might have a complicated answer. I don't know before we head to our next break. But Awesome Nicole had a really interesting question. She's kind of wondering about some of the trends, Nate, that you see in this field, in this area of work and innovative solutions that are coming up. And she even said, if a foundation invited you to apply for a $10 million grant to fight homelessness in your community, what would your pitch for that grant look like? And I was like, oh, that's a good question. What are some things that are up and coming? Because we all know everyone likes to complain and have all kinds of opinions about the problem. But what are some upcoming ways that might be developing that we don't know about yet? Yeah. Well, I want to say too, that if this isn't a hypothetical question and Nicole really does work for a foundation, you know, get in touch with me, Nicole. We can chat about it. It's a very good question. I think to start, it's good and healthy and important to understand that we're probably not going to solve homelessness. It's probably not an issue where in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I'm not sure the goal is to eradicate homelessness because I'm not sure it's feasible. There's so many factors that contribute to homelessness. Domestic violence is the third leading cause of homelessness for women. Are we going to end domestic violence? The lack of a living wage, the fact that people need to be making two to three times more than minimum wage to afford housing comfortably, is that going to change anytime soon? So I want to get to this question that Nicole answered, which is a very good one. But when I think of it, I don't think it's realistic for us to be thinking, okay, what can we do to truly end this problem? I think as long as the earth is spinning and as long as we are inhabiting it, there's going to be challenges and there's going to be struggles and there's going to be people who periodically go through a hard time. But if for $10 million to some of the trends that I see, one is mental health. So recently, the organization that I work for, we hired an in-house licensed clinical social worker that is on staff that provides direct counseling to our participants. And that's an area that I would invest more into. In the first year of her being on staff, she's seen almost 100 of our clients, which is less than 20% of our overall population. So I would definitely invest more in mental health because Nicole asked about trends. So COVID sort of wreaked havoc on everybody, and we saw an increase in people needing to access mental health services. Well, the population that we serve is no different. 
The only challenge is that it became even harder for them to access mental health counseling because either they're on Medicaid or they're not able to pay well. And then there's a shortage of professionals in the field. So there's a real problem accessing um, professional counseling. So us being able to hire a staff person who provides that is important. So I'd probably want to hire two or three more counselors. I would want to focus on affordable housing. So this is a big deal that folks that we serve and that other nonprofits serve. It's a real issue where folks who are trying to transition out of homelessness, they just can't find anywhere to live. You know, I know that in the state of Pennsylvania, where we are, you need to be making on average for one person almost $25 an hour to afford a one bedroom apartment comfortably. So imagine the plate of our clients who are making eight, nine, 10, 11 dollars an hour. So I would want to increase our inventory of affordable housing units, permanent affordable housing, so that members of our community that we're serving have a safe place to stay. Those are two areas that I would really want to focus on. So Nicole, again, if this isn't hypothetical, get in touch with me and we'll see what we can do. (laughs) Yes. Or any awesomes who are out there who are connected (laughs) in some way to a foundation that's looking for a great Mm -hmm. cause, we could connect you with Nate immediately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Such good conversation, Nate. Thank you so much. We're going to take a little quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Rebecca about a book that got her kind of connecting some dots and have some more conversation about what this looks like to serve people who are experiencing homelessness well in our communities. We're going to get to that when we come right back. Okay, we are back. And like I said before the break, Rebecca, you have been telling me, just like in our private conversations off mic, how deeply impacted you were by the book Cast, which came out maybe last year, year before. It's a, it's a pretty recent release. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your experience reading that book, kind of what it covers, and how this helped you to sort of connect some dots with what you see Nate experiencing in his work with people experiencing homelessness in your community. Yeah. So the book that I read is called Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents, and it is by Isabel Wilkerson. I listened to the version adapted for young adults on audio. I'm not sure what the differences are with those the adult versus young adult version, but I really found this to be an extremely powerful read. The basic premise of the book is looking at the United States through the lens of a caste system and how that impacts racism within our country, how we managed and handled slaves and the freeing of slaves in our country, basically saying that it's the caste system that we have here that really is what is affecting the baseline for all of our prejudice, which was just utterly fascinating. She made parallels and comparisons to the caste system in India, which of course is more of like a religiously based caste system, the idea of reincarnation and like coming back as a better or lesser person. She talked a lot about how early Nazi Germany actually looked to the United States and how we spoke about Black people and the propaganda that we pushed about Black people in order to learn how to push that same narrative in Nazi Germany. I'm telling you, this book was so hard to read, so powerful. There were moments where I felt crankier, (laughs) just in general. Like, I remember Nate coming home and me being like, 
I'm sorry. I'm just like in such a terrible mood. Like I'm reading this book and it is just so upsetting, which is not really maybe the best endorsement for the book, but I'm saying that it was such a powerful experience. I'm really thankful that I read the book, right? And I don't want to minimize the important message of caste as it applies to race, which is the primary message of this book. But I personally couldn't help but draw some parallels to what Nate and I have seen in terms of economic status and caste. One of the themes with caste was with all the many ways that freed Black slaves were told that they needed to know their place, not to get too big for their britches. Like we still were like boxing people in. Like you can be free, but you're not as good as me. And I feel like that same thing can also be said for the unhoused community where we are othering them and calling them lesser than. And, you know, I think everyone acknowledges that there is a homeless community, but like we don't want to see it. We want them to get help, but maybe not in our neighborhood. And this mentality is something that Nate sees all the time. And there's even a name for it. Why don't you go ahead and say what this is all about? Mm -hmm. There is a name for it. It's called NIMBY. Not in my backyard. So some listeners have probably heard of that. NIMBY is just the thought process that, sure, I want those that people group to get help somewhere, but not where I can see it, not in my backyard. Which really makes our experience in trying to serve and help the unhoused community difficult. Because where do you do that if the neighbors around your organization are protesting, speaking out against it, it just can cause a lot of havoc, mm -hmm. <laughs> frankly, as we try to just do some good, really. So, Nate, in your experience with this, and thank you, Rebecca, that's so good. And I know this book was like so, had such a big impact on you. And I think many people who've read it have felt really deeply impacted. Nate, in your experience, is some of the NIMBY pushback is it that people don't want to see the community of people who are experiencing homelessness? What are some of the concerns? Is it like, I'm afraid for my safety? I'm afraid for my children's safety. I'm afraid for my property value. I do feel like I keep saying afraid. So apparently, I think that it has a lot to do with fear. <laughs> I'm noticing in my own language around this. Is that kind of what you're bumping up against as you have explored what this looks like in your community or even beyond? Because I'm sure you're very much in touch with trends beyond your local community in terms of what this looks like in communities just in our nation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is a lot of fear. And we have a real life example just recently in one of the communities where my organization serves, we were introducing a new winter shelter program into that community. We were lawfully allowed to do it. The zoning permitted it and allowed it. We received all the permits and certificate of occupancies to do it. So everything was above board, but the neighbors really had a hard time with it. So Meg, to your question, it was a lot of, I'm concerned about my kids. Now my kids can't play outside anymore. My kids used to play in the alleyway behind my house. I don't feel safe with them doing that anymore. In multiple communities, I've heard the concern of my property value is going to decrease. And Every community is different and every situation is different. So I want to be very clear. There are some communities and situations where these concerns are probably valid. They probably are. They could be. But there are other communities where they're not. So, you know, I would encourage 
people that if you have those concerns, like you really owe it to yourself, to the community and to the people that are being impacted by your thought process to actually do your due diligence and investigate. If you have real concerns about safety, which a lot of people do, a lot of people are very concerned about homeless men in particular. I've really discovered that in my career. It was one thing when when we were serving women and children, everyone seemed to applaud that. The moment we started serving men, it became a different story. There's a lot of fear with homeless men. And if you really are concerned about that, really you know, take the time to actually investigate. The thing that has frustrated me, Meg, real life experience is that I would hear so many people complain about being scared and being fearful, but yet they never reached out to our organization to engage in conversation, never took the time to come see us, never took the time to get to know any of the people that we're serving. So if you do have that fear in your heart, which I'm not judging you for, but I will judge you if you let that fear dictate solely how you act. You owe it to yourself to say, okay, listen, let me engage with the issue. Let me reach out to ABC organization nonprofit. Let me spend some time with their staff. Let me ask hard questions. What are you guys doing? How are you helping? These are my concerns. Engage. Don't just do take the lazy route and allow your fear to guide your thinking because that's really harmful. It's really harmful and it's not productive. So safety is one of the big concerns that we hear with NIMBY, property values. And I would say for property values. And again, this is just my experience in the communities that we serve. We have data that suggests that it has zero impact. Matter of fact, across the street from one of our shelter buildings, it's amazing. There's luxury apartments that went up after we moved in. It has not hindered or altered real estate development and property values at all. Again, because any nonprofit organization that's doing this work that gets it and that is serious about it is going to be intentional about making sure that their properties are some of the nicest ones on the block. So that we haven't found that to be true, where it impacts property values. So those are a couple of the issues that we get regarding NIMBY. I would say that like, I do understand this concept of, of being fearful of what you don't know. And I think one thing that I have learned through living with Nate and watching him work is that it's the individual stories that really bring out the compassion within me for people that he's serving. And even just yesterday in the sermon at our church, there was this example given that really made me think about this, where the pastor was talking about our hurts that we sometimes experience in the world and challenging us to look at the source of those hurts at the individual level, rather than associating it with the entire people group. And he said, this is how when you assign that kind of hurt to an entire people group. That's how racism happens. That's how sexism happens. That's how you go from thinking all Republicans feel this way, all Democrats feel this way. And that causes all kinds of issues and walls that we build up between ourselves and others, where instead looking at the individual, so not all homeless individuals are like this, but I did have this unfortunate situation with this individual. But that doesn't mean that the entire community is this way. 
it just elevates your level of compassion when you can hear an individual story. I mean, that's the case with like anything, right? In any sort of conflict, in any kind of way that we can like disagree with each other on political issues or worldview or religion, if we have those individual conversations with people, it just really opens up the door for compassion and for the ability to see the other side. And I think that there's just beauty in that. That's how we build community rather than building up walls. And I think we have seen that the same can be said for those who are experiencing homelessness is if you are in a state, in a position where you truly do have concerns and you have fears and it is negatively impacting your well-being, we don't disregard that. Let's look at the source. Like, what can the organization that is serving these individuals do to help you to have comfort in your home again, to help you see the compassion and the need for this type of service in your area? Absolutely. Just last week, I was listening to PJ Vote's podcast, Search Engine, where he explores a question every week. And the question he was exploring is, why can't we just turn empty office buildings into apartments? And it's really fascinating. It goes into the history of zoning in the U.S., which is, guess what, racist and classist. It's fascinating. And also kind of like you were saying with cast, Rebecca, it's just like, what? I had no idea. But in that episode, he also talks about the NIMBY problem. But also, Nate, I don't know if you've heard this. There are people who are YIMBY people, the yes in my backyard kind of activists who are willing to go to bat for communities that need a voice, need representation. And I think, Rebecca, to your point, sometimes it is hearing those personal individual stories that can help us flip the switch internally from being a NIMBY person to being a YIMBY person who is welcoming to the idea of like, let's create some solutions together as a community. And Nate, that kind of brings me to the last question. One of our awesomes, Jessica, was asking about like, what can city leaders do? Not all of us who are listening, not all of us who are awesomes are actively involved in our local city government, but many are. And even if we're not elected to our local city government, we can still be a voice in those proceedings as citizens in our community. She was talking about how she felt like maybe city leaders in her community had kind of maybe not handled things entirely well, and it was leading to some issues with unhoused people and some vandalism, theft and affecting businesses and where it kind of like stirs up that resentment towards this community. And so she was wondering like more at a local government level, what are some things as an expert in the field that you see could be done? A lot that local elected officials really do carry a significant amount of power and influence when it comes to this issue. Because it is at the hyper-local level, whether you live in a borough, in a city, wherever you live, it is your council members, your mayor, your borough, city manager. Those are the folks that are making decisions that dictate who can live where, what kind of property can be used for what, and where it can all happen. I hope that for the community that you live in, that those folks who are elected and in positions of that kind of influence and power that they don't have the mentality of just wanting to make the problem go away. You can be an advocate in your local community that if homelessness is visible, if that population is there in your community of connecting with your hyper-local elected officials, your council members, just making sure, hey, 
are we making decisions or as a leader in the community, are you trying to create a place where those folks can be taken care of? Are you fostering an environment that is inviting organizations to come in and making it easy for them to serve them? Or as I've seen personal experience, are you a local elected leader that just wants it to go away? You just don't want to see those people anymore. So that's really unhealthy. You can advocate to your local elected officials. Hey, I live here. This is my town. This is important to me that folks who are going through a hard time, that we're not making it hard for them to stay here. So that's one thing that local elected officials can do is that they can make it easier for nonprofit organizations to serve. I'll give an example. In one of the communities where uh, Good Sam operates, the organization that I work for, the only place legally where a homeless shelter can operate is on the very outskirts of town. And it's always been very interesting to me that it's also the only area where an adult store can take place. So they lumped in homelessness and adult stores into the same, like that's how they see it. Do you understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, there's yeah, something I immoral wanted, I, about There's being, something immoral. Yes. About experiencing yes. homelessness. Yeah. There's something unsavory. Let's put them as far out as possible. That's not helpful because I've said before that the homeless population is rising. We're especially seeing an increase with seniors. The average age of the population that we're serving is now mid-50s to early 60s. So how is someone going to live two to three miles outside of the center of town It's not feasible. It's not healthy. It's not good. So as a local elected official, are you just trying to push it out? Are you making it so that zoning dictates that if a shelter wants to operate, they it's going to be very hard and uncomfortable for them? Or are you making it possible for those organizations to operate? That is probably the most helpful thing, looking at zoning ordinances and what is our permitted use in different sections of your town. And and you as a citizen, as a listener, advocating for that and making it known that you want to make it as easy as possible for organizations that just want to serve and, and just want to help, that you're making it easy for them to do so in your town. That's so true. A lot of times people might want to complain or you have some legitimate concerns about maybe local city government money being used as part of these solutions. And I hear you saying like, it doesn't even have to be money. Like let the organizations who are doing the fundraising, who are there to serve, pave the way for them, make it easier for them to serve this community and doesn't even cost the taxpayer extra money in that sense. So yeah. Just don't get in our way. Many organizations, again, like the one that I work for, we're not getting government funding. We truly actually just want to help people. So local elected officials can make it very hard. Okay. Well, you guys, this has been such a great conversation, as always, when Nate comes and shares his wisdom, and we just love you both so much. Nate, if it's okay with you, could we put a link to Good Sam in the show notes so people can see more about your work? Would that be okay? Please do. That'd be great. Thanks, Meg. All right. Yes. And Rebecca, if people want to find you to talk about this, maybe slip a message to Nate. I don't know. Or if they just want to talk to you about whatever, where can we find you all around the web? Well, my website is simplyrebecca.com and you can find me all over social media at simplyrebecca. Okay. You can find me at Sorta Awesome Meg in all of the places. Come and find us on social media. Search Sorta Awesome wherever you are. We will be there. We would love to have you join us. Nate, again, thank you for taking the time to come and talk to us this week. This was so great. Thank you, Meg. The third time really was the charm, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I agree. Best one yet, for sure. <laughs> okay, awesome. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.